Check, check. Hello. Hello. I hope I'm loud enough. I think that I am. Uh, welcome to RBC Online. Uh, you're stuck with me today. <laughs> um, yes, you don't have me singing, but you have me speaking. You can't get away from me. So, uh, but I uh, just want to say, like, we're stoked to have everyone back from Mexico. Um, so glad that Gabe got a black eye. That's just incredible news. Um, but yeah, we just thought, you know, let's have a Sunday off. Um, we're trying to find a guest speaker. It just wasn't working out. And I was like, you know what? I think I, think I can speak this Sunday. And I, I think I know what God wants me to speak about. And, you know, all of us, uh, a lot of us have heard like a little bit of my story of why did I end up at RBC. And we have like bits and pieces. Oh, that really is a black eye. Yeah, okay. Okay. Sorry, distraction. Um, but yeah, we, we all, like all of us have kind of bits and pieces of the story. Um, but I thought this morning as I was thinking about it and praying about it, it just felt like, I just felt pulled to share really um, like my hindsight, looking back, why did I end up coming here? Why did Teresa and I end up coming here? Because um, it was a really difficult decision and really a life-changing thing for me. Not, for, not just because of moving, but because of what God did in me. So I wanted to share that with you guys this morning and give you the full picture, the full story. And even for uh, my friends like back in San Diego, I don't think have even really heard the full story and like I think that they would be interested to hear and I know that you guys would be are interested to hear that as well so I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll get started this morning God just thank you for um, RBC and thank you for this place we thank you just for your guidance in all of our lives and um, just like we sang this morning um, you loved our whole hearts through and that's why we're here. That's what we're trying to live in day in and day out. Um, we're trying to grab a hold of that, understand that, let it change us. So do that work in us this morning, God. Speak to me, uh, speak through me, and just speak to me this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. So, um, before I'm going to start recording myself real quick here, so I don't want to lose this. There we go. So before Scott's good friend Brian Berry ever reached out to me about coming up to RBC or anything like that, I had no idea RBC existed or anything, um, Teresa and I were actually pretty heavily involved in a bunch of different ministries down in San Diego. And we were uh, helping like two different church plants. One of our good friends, a couple that was starting a church, we helped them launch and kind of went through the process with them, which was really cool, and then we also were helping another good friend in his church plant. He was starting ministry with young adults and whatnot, and it was just an awesome time to be a part of that, um, and he just actually, they just launched this last, I think, January, so, um, and both those churches are going, which is awesome, and then on top of that, we were literally starting and just beginning the seeds for our, our own, like, house church, our own home church, um, and just doing it in the backyard of my apartment. And we were just trying to figure out, what, how do we move forward? How do we do this? Um, and we were stoked about that. So we were doing a lot of things um, and good things. Um, but uh, so, so when the offer came, when Brian called me, when Scott, when I when I reached out to Scott and we had a phone conversation, it just really didn't make a ton of sense. Like going up to the Bay Area, and it, it just didn't work with like what we were doing. You know what I was involved in. It didn't make much sense at first. Um, and to me, it's like little did I know uh, God would use this one decision. And it, on the surface, not necessarily a huge difficult decision, but uh, or I, was, I should say the circumstances is not what made the decision hard for me. The decision was difficult because of what God was doing in, in me. And honestly, God used this one decision to like, as like a crucible, like, like to sift through, 
myself, like I would say I had to look deep in, in, into myself and in my motivations, my view of God, the things that concerned me, the things that made me concern. Um, it just, when RBC came on the table, it just threw me for a loop because it just didn't fit at all with how I felt like I should move forward. Um, and I'm sure you guys can relate to that, where God just brings something, and it's like, no, this does not make any sense. Um, and essentially, I would say, like, looking back, um, I had it all figured out, I would say. Um, I, I, I was honestly in a very frustrated place and a very bitter place, I did not, I was like ready to prove to the world <laughs> that um, I knew how church could be better, done better. Um, I was ready to prove to the world, and I was like eager to be the one to prove it. Um, and I wanted to be the center of attention in that way. And I think what we're going to talk about this morning is really just how a lot of those deeper parts of us, they get enmeshed in our decisions and what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it and all this stuff. But God really took me through the fire in this decision. Um, and like only looking back, can I see that my heart, where my heart was at. In the moment, I, I couldn't tell, you know. Um, and I think the, the one like catch this morning or caveat to that is that this idea that God is so much more concerned with who we are becoming rather than what exactly we're doing or, like, where we're doing it. You know, like, God, you see how those things kind of are the same but subtly different. Like, God cares so much more about what, like, where our hearts at, who are we becoming. And obviously that has to do with what we're doing, but he cares more about that. It's like that's the priority, and all the other things, he already has it all figured out, you know. Um, and to me, like, the seemingly obvious answer to say no to Scott just became not very obvious, basically, as God led me to sift through the layers of my ego and my motivations, my desires. And I'm honestly so thankful for Scott for having grace enough to <laughs> give me uh, a, a kind of walk with me through that process. Um, and... Um, it's funny, like, well, I'll go into it. We'll get, we'll get into it. But when I was praying about, uh, when, when I was praying about what to speak about this morning and I felt pulled to talk about why did I decide to come to RBC and why did I decide to move? Why did we end up coming up here? Um, I just was a little bit confused about what scripture really relates to this. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of prayed about it. I was like, okay, God, like, if you want me to talk about that, then give me a scripture that, that totally nails this, you know, that, that points, points out, like, gives me direction in this. Um, and it's funny because I was talking to Teresa about it, and it wasn't until I talked to her that, I re that she mentioned Paul. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, actually, Paul's story has some really clear parallels with, with what I was going through. So, um, we're going to talk about Paul this morning, and in a place that actually uh, is not really uh, suspecting, but it's in Galatians. We're going to be going through a lot of Galatians. Um, and you guys think Scott is ambitious for going through one chapter on Sunday. We're going to go through two chapters today. <laughs> so <laughs> buckle up, because we've got a lot to go over. <laughs> but I just basically... Paul is, kind of gives his testimony in two different places or a couple different places, and uh, Galatians really gives you a snapshot of what he went through. Um, I, I don't know. We'll get into it. It's, it's really interesting, though. Um, and most of us have heard the story of Paul. Um, most of us have heard a little bit of his story, but I want to make sure we have a good context of him this morning. Um, but most of us have heard about Saul, who was a young and up-and-coming Jewish Pharisee, someone who knew the Jewish law, followed it to a T, you know, with more zeal than anyone around him. Um, 
we probably heard of how he was the one who gave the word to stone Stephen to death for preaching the gospel. I mean, this dude was hardcore. He was going after the church um, with, like, everything he had, uh, even to the point of killing people, arresting people. Um, And we probably even heard that Saul, this guy, miraculously was blinded by God on his travels to persecute the church, blinded by God, and turned 180 and became a Jesus follower uh, and was given the new name Paul. Most of us have heard that story. Um, And if you haven't, I encourage you guys, go look at it. It's in Acts 9. Uh, You can read about how this guy literally had a complete 180 life change in the most unsuspecting like way you could even imagine. Um, but to me, the question was really like, what then? What, how did he go from being the forefront of the persecution of the church to being the one who's probably responsible for most of our most like foundational theology? Um, and I would imagine it was probably like a very awkward transition, um, And I just want to take four things out this morning of the scriptures in Galatians 1, 11, and then through all the way through 2 that I feel like God was just pointing out to me in my own story. So jump in with me. We're Galatians 1, 11. Um, Jim, if you want to pull that up, that would be awesome. And we're going to read through this. So 1, 11 says, and he's going to kind of give a testimony, a little bit of his testimony here. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, he's kind of setting the floor of like, what happened to me, what I'm talking about, it didn't come from any person. This isn't, a, this isn't a thing where I was just convinced of this or this sounded really good and makes sense. There's something a lot bigger going on here. You know, this isn't just an argument or an idea. This is like something deeper. So he kind of just starts it off by saying that. And then in verse, let's see, 13 on, if we keep going on. So he's going to talk about his past. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. <laughs> it's pretty strong language. And, I, and this is Paul talking about himself. Uh, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Pretty, like, pretty strong language, like I said. Um... And it kind of leads us to our first point this morning is just, number one, what is your motivation? What is our motivation? Um, I was like Paul. (laughs) Maybe not as extreme as going and doing some of the things he did. But I feel like God was pointing out to me that I was like Paul. Um, He says, I tried to destroy Um, and I think I didn't know it at the time, but I, looking back, I can say, I think I was chasing after destruction with zeal. (laughs) Um, where my heart was at and, you know, the things I was doing, they weren't bad. They're not, it's not like we were doing bad things or anything that, but where my heart was at and my motivations Underneath the surface, that's where the real uh, situations, the real, you know, important stuff happens. Um, And when I look back, I think, man, like, I was chasing after destruction, where my heart was at, where my motivation was at. And it wasn't a blinding like Paul that stopped me. You know, it wasn't like God just blinded me like he did Paul, but it was a blind move uh, to a church in an area I almost knew nothing about, (laughs) 
that was about 180 degrees uh, decision different than what I was doing at the time. And it's kind of mind-blowing when I look at this. God was just like pointing this out to me. I'm like, that is really bizarre because I was blind. I mean, I, we came up to RBC. We didn't, you can't know what a church is within two visits or whatever. We, we don't know the area. We came blind, basically. And I think this morning, like, sometimes destruction sounds more like this. I got it all figured out. You know, I got the perfect plan, and nothing's going to stop me. And I would say that pretty much sums up Paul's words here. Like, I was, what does he say? Uh, He says, I was persecuting the church of God violently, tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. One of my mentors, like, explained it this way, and I want to introduce this idea to us this morning because it really helped me to think about this. He said, with you at the center of the universe... All the other planets just fly off, right? They, they cannot hold their orbit. And let's think of like you as the Earth. Like the Earth is not big enough to hold the orbit, uh, hold the planet's orbit. God is like the sun, right? With him at the center, everything is held together. And I think the question for us today is, what is calling the shots in our lives? What was calling the shots in my life at the time, you know? What's call- because something is, and th- this, is the, this is the scary part about it, right? Something is calling the shots. Something was calling the shots for me. But is it strong enough to hold everything together? Is it big enough? You know, is it strong enough to do that? And I think Paul had a realization you know, he's talking about, this is where I was. And when he met Jesus, he had a realization that was very sobering. <laughs> and it wasn't simply that he was wrong, or, um, and I did too. It wasn't simply that we were wrong or bad or needed to change. But I think at its core, it's that the thing at the center of our universe was not what we thought it was. You know, chasing after it, just full confidence. And yet, Jesus enters the picture and we're rocked because it's like, hmm, (laughs) I thought that he was the center. I thought that God was the center. So just something to think about this morning, and our first point is just what is our motivation? What's your motivation? Who's calling the shots? What is calling the shots? So let's go on, Galatians 1.15 here. He says, just moving on, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he's talking about God, was pleased to reveal his son, Jesus, to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. This is Peter. The Peter's the dude who, like, (laughs) Jesus is like, we're going to build the church and you're the guy. Like, this is the head disciple, you know. Um, So he visits with Peter And he remained with him only 15 days. Only 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And he says, verse 20, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. (laughs) In verse 21, he says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea. I was still unknown. Um to the church of Judea that are in Christ, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So isn't that just bizarre? (laughs) 
Paul has this life-changing experience with Jesus, and he literally immediately says, I'm out of here. It's so bizarre to me, and I think we have a clue in what he's writing. He's writing this letter to the Galatians for a reason. He's explaining his story. He's giving a preface. He's, uh, he's giving context. But he says this. I mean, why would he say this? Verse 20, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. That's a very strong statement. And if you, it kind of makes you wonder, like, well, why is that necessary, right? And to me, I think Paul wants to make sure we don't get this mixed up. Because for this story is, for, for Paul, is like unbelievable. It doesn't make any sense. Like what he says in the verse 1, he says, Brothers, the gospel I preach to you, uh, preached by me, is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying this is like, this, I know it's hard to believe, and it is. It is. It's, it's a miracle, basically. And so anyway, going back, like he leaves immediately. He says, I did not uh, consult with anyone <laughs> for three years. After three years, he finally meets with Peter and only meets with him for 15 days. And it's like, what then, I think? Like, what, what's happening? What is that weird transition? Um, and I think one thing I thought of is, like, Paul is in a weird situation because he was just going after the church arresting people, having people killed, and, and doing, like, I mean, he was the, the dude that was going after it. So he's making a ton of enemies, right? And then he goes and flips sides, and now he's making enemies on both sides. He just put himself in the worst possible situation. Um, and it's like, again, I just want to highlight, this does not make sense. Why would a person do this? It doesn't make any sense. It's like shooting yourself with your, in, shooting your own foot, right? Um, and I think, I, I just thought, like, how did Paul, the one who had all the answers, I mean, this is the guy who essentially knew everything there was to know about God. You know, all the scriptures, all the law, everything. How did his idea of God serve him? And this is what I want us to look at this morning, and maybe like my favorite point this morning. How did this dude who knew everything about God, how did that serve Paul? And it's, 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 it's crazy. So, um, and I think you can see this so clearly because, for one, you can see this is, again, this is a profound thing that happened to Paul because he didn't just go from, um, oh, let me hear the arguments. Let me hear the, 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 uh, what the apostles say. Let me hear their stories. Let me be con- like convinced. This isn't just Paul just going from, okay, I'm trading Judaism for Christianity. It's not just I'm taking this argument and now this one sounds better. They, it, it says that he literally didn't, he didn't confer with anyone. You see, like, the the weirdness in this normally what happens right is we we hear new idea and then it's like okay I'm on this side now but that's not is that's not what happened here and I kind of think like yeah he just drops his old Jewish ways and community and simply picks up the Christian community simple right and it, no it's it's not trade you're not trading one tradition for another it's not trading one set of codes for another. Something happened to Paul that was, like, life-changing, life-altering. And I think if I could put it in a nutshell, like, I feel like a cool way that I thought of wrapping this up is that Paul had thought that he knew God, right? He thought he knew God. He knew everything there was. He was totally on the right. But for the first time in his life, he actually met God. Think about that. That's kind of scary. 
in one, in one hand, right? Like, I can know everything there is to know about God and my own idea and everything. I have all the answers. And yet, Paul hadn't met God. And as the story goes, like, think about it. Who was it that Paul met? This is so crazy. Look at Acts 9. This, this is another place where you see Paul's testimony. Acts 9, he's just going to, I'm just going to give you a short snapshot of what exactly happened This is on his way uh, before he met Jesus. It says, Acts 9, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, the way was like the original phrase that you would have called like someone who was following Jesus. They're people of the way. So anyone Belonging to the way, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, (laughs) whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, (laughs) and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So I just want us to like get a picture of this morning. Something happened to, to Paul. And it was much more profound and life-altering than just hearing a different idea. And I would, again would say, Paul thought he knew God, and he knew everything there was, and then he met God. And who was it that he met on the road? It says Jesus. This is Paul's own testimony. How did this guy go from breathing threats to literally 180, just blinded? It makes no sense. And our second point this morning is basically this. Are we fashioning our own idea of God? Or are we getting to know Jesus? And this is so, like, rocked me when I was studying this. My idea of God is not what saved me from myself. My idea of God (laughs) is not what is not what stopped me from chasing after my own ambitions. Only my relationship with Jesus did that. It wasn't, it's not an idea that can change, you know. And I think this is certainly Paul's idea of God was not saving him or anyone from him. Essentially, like, I was wrong. And like Paul, I was diving headfirst into destruction by my own hand. And I think if not for Jesus in my life, it, it's not just an, this, this is not just an idea of God. I had my idea of God, and that was what I was going after. If not for Jesus, I honestly hate to think about how things could have ended up. Um, the, the, the pain that would have been caused, the turmoil, the confusion, the hurt. Um, and I think Paul is such an example to us. Like, are we trying to do life how we think God would want us to, or are we actually getting to know Jesus? And John, I I just want to, like, go over this idea this morning. A lot of us know this, but some of us, we need to be reminded. John 14, 9 says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We can't mix this up. Jesus claimed that he was one with the Father, that he was God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. You have the picture. 
it's, it's, it's so interesting. Paul, like, Teresa and I were actually hanging out with some of our um, neighbors who have become dear friends recently, and we were talking about this, actually, like how strange Jesus is. And one of the most critically important things about Jesus that we often just gloss over is that Jesus is a living, breathing, speaking, acting representation of God. Hebrews 1.3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of his nature. I mean, think about this. We no longer have to guess and wonder or have the luxury of thinking on our own what or who God is. You know, we simply can look at Jesus. How does your idea stand up to Jesus? Because Jesus puts it all out on the table. (laughs) He lived and bled and died and rose again to give us an opportunity to decide. What are we going to say about this dude? You know, all the things that he taught, all the things that he did that are passed down, that are, we find everywhere in modern wisdom and polit- politics and just everywhere. We can't mix those up from the fact that Jesus said, I, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he gives us that opportunity. You know, I, and I thought like, even for those of us who have decided what we th- think about Jesus, um, we have, like, if my story is any testimony for you, like, we have a lifetime of opportunities to test our thoughts and actions and feelings against him. Because I had my own idea, and it was going forward, and only looking back can I see the destruction that I could have walked into. So, again, like, are we fashioning our own idea of God? Or are we getting to know Jesus? Because those two things have to somehow either line up or we have to decide, no, we're going to reject all of Jesus. So moving on this morning, Galatians 2, we're getting into chapter 2 now. He says, so after three years, right, he met with Peter for 15 days, nothing. And they, they, it said like they didn't even, they, they only heard of him. They didn't even know him. And he says, Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul is coming now after all this time to the church leaders to say, are we on the same page? Do we, are we saying the same thing? I want to make sure we're right in this. So it has nothing to do with uh, any other motivation here. So verse 3, um, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Yet because of, okay, so I just want to stop right there. And I want to preface this whole thing about in Galatians. He's writing this letter to Galatia because there is a mix-up. that At the time, and I, I can't go too much into this because it's just too much to cover, but there is, there's a, a, a sect of people and even the very uh, prominent leaders in the church that are kind of going back on old ways uh, in different ways in Judaism. One of them being, you should be circumcised. You know, do I need to do this to follow Jesus or not? And they're kind of getting mixed up. And Paul is writing this letter to basically set the record straight. And he's saying it's not about the little details. It's about what's going on at the core of this. So he says, um, verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Uh, Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Again, like, this is very bizarre, I think, because we look back at Peter and the apostles 
and we think they are a big deal, right? They, they, they were influential, and they were the head dudes. And Paul's literally saying, makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I don't care. You know, it's like, it's, it kind of gives you a picture of like where Paul's at. And this is very different than the Paul that we know in the first half of the story, who it did matter if you were influential. It did matter who you were. It did matter what attention he was getting. It did matter who saw what he was doing. You know, he was saying, I was chasing after it with more zeal than anyone. And I think that's our third point this morning is just this idea of what is your concern? What are you concerned about? What are you so concerned about? If God's at the center, right? We already went over that this morning. If God is at the center of the universe and Jesus is the full representation of him, we already went over that this morning, then what do you have to be concerned about, right? And I think, again, going back to my story, see, for me, I was concerned, essentially, I think, with proving myself right. I think I was concerned with being significant. Um, Even like getting justice for the hurts that I've been through. Tired of seeing this or that in the church and I wanted to prove it wrong, you know. Beneath that, I think all of us have a deep longing for significance. To be desired, to be chosen to have justice, to be great. (laughs) And those longings are not wrong. God put those there. And I think it's this one incredible thing about, one of the incredible things about humans is that we're born with longings that cannot be filled or fulfilled by anything on earth. And it points us to something more. You know, it must be something more if this is just not getting filled up. And I think Paul was looking for that too. He had aspirations to be better than all his peers, to be the guy, you know. And what did it cause him to do? I want us to look at this this morning. What did that cause him to do? What did those concerns that were ruling his life cause him to do? Because it's actually pretty extreme. It led him to murder people. Um, to arrest innocent men and women for thinking different than him. It caused him to tear families and communities apart. And it caused him to hate. And if anything, Paul shows us this morning that we have to be careful about where we go looking to fill up those concerns, to fill up those longings. I mean, Look at his life. It's there. It's, it's not a story. It's real life. This was a real dude, real motivations, real stuff. We have to be careful, right? I mean, it just, I, when I te- kind of looked at that, I was like, man, this is, that's mind-blowing. Like, what he did um, that he thought was right. I mean, that is crazy. Um, I had a, I have a friend who, kind of a mentor friend, but he has this habit of uh, collecting shirts that say funny things. <laughs> and he posts them, like, all the time on Instagram. He always, it's like he's got a million shirts, I don't know. But he posts this one shirt on Instagram, and I thought of it when I was going over this. And it basically says, and it's geniusly hilarious, it says, If you hate anyone because of your faith, you're doing it wrong. I thought that that is hilarious. If you hate anyone because of your faith, you're doing it wrong. I can't agree more. Like, that's just an easy, like, just, if you want to, like, criticize someone's faith, just put that at the top of the list and bam, you already know what's what's not working out. (laughs) But it just brings, it goes back to Paul, like, what is our concern Paul was not concerned, and I want to go back to the scripture. Paul was not concerned about these guys that had secretly penetrated their, their church and stuff and were trying to, to create turmoil. I think I would just call that, call it that. 
for, in simple terms. There was dudes that were getting in, and they were just trying to create a bunch of bleh, funk and not cool stuff, basically. <laughs> Nothing good for anyone. Um, and what does Paul say? He says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In other words, he's saying, I don't care about that. I'm not giving it one moment. Not even, not even. And then he goes on and says, and the contrast of that is from, uh, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. <laughs> on the flip side, Paul's also saying, oh, you're the main guy, you're the head dude, everyone knows you, you're famous. I don't care. That's not why I'm here. And it, this is a person who is completely free. Have you guys seen that? Like, very different than what we see originally, the dude who was going after. So let's move on. Galatians 2.7. We're going to get through this. 2.7, if you are with me. On the contrary, when they saw... So this is after, sorry, after he said... These guys, they didn't, uh, they added nothing to me. In other words, Paul's saying my, my gospel, what, God, what Jesus did in me, what the story and the things that he showed me, the disciples were like, yep, can't add anything. That's perfect. Yep, totally agree. And then he goes, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, so everyone who is not Jew is uncircumcised. I hate that they use that phrase because we don't even like think about it or use it anymore. But think of it as like people that aren't Jews and people that are, right? Um, Paul was entrusted. They saw Paul was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. The Gentiles is everyone outside of the Jews. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, that gra- the, perceived the grace that I was given to me, uh, that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I want to read this in the message version this morning. That was ESV. I want to read it in the message version because... I love this one phrase that Eugene Peterson uses to describe this. And this is kind of a paraphrase of this 7 through 10. It says, It was so evident that God had entrusted me with the same message to the non-Jews as Peter had been preaching to the Jews. Right? Recognizing that my calling had been given by God, James, Peter, and John, the pillars of the church, shook hands with me. It shook hands with Paul and Barnabas. Assigning us to a ministry to the non-Jews while they continue to be responsible for reaching out to the Jews. They only addition, the only additionally th- uh, thing they asked was that we remember the poor, and I was already eager to do that. You see, like, when God fills us up, when God fills those desires, those things that we just cannot get filled anywhere... We shake hands. I love that phrase. We shake hands. Because think about this. Uh, Remember the context. Paul was the guy who was murderous and persecuting and arresting these same exact people. Here's the guy responsible for the murders and unspeakable wounds. And he's shaking hands with the very people who did this all to. It's a tiny scripture, but it says a lot, right? Like, he, the pillars of the church, they shook hands with Paul. This makes no sense. <laughs> How is this possible? And I think that's what I'm saying this morning is like when God fills us up, we don't have to have these concerns where we're trying to get it from this and get it from that. And, and we'll make sure that this person doesn't go here because then it will screw up this for me. You know, they don't have any of these concerns. They completely let go of it. I think when God fills the longings and desires, we don't have to look for them in relationships, in a job, in family, in ministry, a calling, a friendship, all those become free to love with no strings attached. We're free to love because we're loved. 
I think when God fills those longings and desires, we don't have to be crushed when someone disagrees or when someone falls away, when something disappoints or when someone or something hurts. We're free to forgive because we're forgiven. So what is our concern this morning? What are you so concerned about? If God's the center of the universe, your universe, and Jesus totally represents God, and you know him, you're getting to know him, then what's, what's so concerning? So let's keep moving on. Sorry, there's a lot this morning. We, got, we still have 10 verses to go. Galatians 2.11. So this is where he gets into why kind of he's writing this letter in the first place. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Peter, Peter the head dude, like this is guy who's kind of one of the main guys in charge of the church. He says, I opposed him to his face <laughs> because he stood condemned. Yeah, so Paul is like, I don't care. I don't, got, I don't got nothing to lose here. Like, I'm standing up for the truth. He says, for before certain men came from James, so some other people came with James, and he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, the people, the non-Jews. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. <laughs> I don't know why it says that that way, the circumcision party. That sounds horrible. Let's never put that in the Bible, change that word. Um, but he says, so he, he was hanging out with the Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, and then all of a sudden he's separating himself. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth, so Paul's like, this, is not, this isn't what Jesus died for here. Um, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's saying, you're, you're, th- these two things don't make sense. You're telling them to do one thing that you're not doing. And he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles, okay? Right? We're, we're Jews, not Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? We know, so these guys, they're not in the old way of Judaism where you have to make atonement for all your sins and follow the rules and try and be the best. They know we're not justified by our works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's saying, we already know this. You guys know this, right? And 17, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found by, to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. So I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. No, it's, it's just the famous verse of Galatians, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. This is, this is the key here. I, did not, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And our fourth point this morning is basically this. Don't rebuild what you tore down. I'm so thankful that God blinded me, had me made a blind move, and rescued me from my own ambitions and trying to do what I was doing before I really got started. Paul didn't have that luxury. (laughs) So when he says, don't rebuild what I tore down, he really means it. Because 
He had built a lot, and he had done a lot. And there's a lot in verses 11 through 21, and I can't really go over it. (laughs) But I want us to leave with this idea and to think about this this morning, this idea of not building what we tore down. I've been reading this book called Unseen by Sarah Haggerty, and she's in this chapter, she's talking about how the loss of her dad is one of, is one of the most significant broken parts of her story. It's just the loss of her dad is what really caused a lot of stuff in her core to get jacked up. And she says... When we acknowledge the parts of us that are broken, we have have significant growth spurts in God. When we acknowledge the parts of us that are broken, we have significant growth spurts in God. As I grieved the loss of my dad, God was tender, personal, patient. I grew as I gave myself permission to grieve. I grew as I gave myself permission to grieve. Long past the time I'd allotted for grieving, and God healed with his presence over that moment and that slivered part of my heart. The long broken parts of me don't, this is key for us this morning, the long broken parts of me, they don't disqualify me from his love. Instead, they catch his eye, he heals us from the inside out. I'll, I'll, some of us know, I don't, I don't even have this in my notes, but some of us know that when Scott called me and I came up and I was trying to figure it out, I told Scott no. I literally told him no for a week. And, and I just want to encourage you this morning, even after you say no, God's still working to rescue you. Even after you're like, nah, I think I got it right, actually. Um. God still can come in and rescue you. And certainly, he did that for Paul. (laughs) Because if you look at his life and the things that he did, I mean, the things prior to knowing Jesus, um, yeah, he had a lot to tear down. (laughs) And we do too, honestly. And Sarah Haggerty is saying, we got to look, we got to get in there. And I think that's the kind of a, the story for me in this decision was God's like, we're going to use this to get in here. And we're going to grow. We're going to get humbled <laughs> a little bit, but we're going to grow. And I just wanted to say these four points, um, uh, an example of what could be being rebuilt. And I, th- I thought, how easy is it to rebuild what you have torn down by making yourself the center of your universe again? You know, how easy is that? And then you just slap a Christian bumper sticker on it. <laughs> how easy is it to rebuild what you've torn down by picking and choosing, fashioning your own idea of God instead of actually knowing the real Jesus? How easy is it? I just pick and choose, eh, this, this, this. That's, yeah, that's pretty much. Instead of actually knowing the real Jesus, Paul met the real Jesus. It makes no sense. How did, how did you read the story? Uh, how easy is it to rebuild what you have torn down by trying to squeeze every ounce of purpose and meaning and love out of the things in your life that were never meant to provide it? You know, we get concerned and we're trying to get it. How easy is it to rebuild what you have torn down by playing the part, saying all is good, whilst avoiding the brokenness that is within you and the unmet parts? The unmet parts that were paid for on the cross. 
And I want to close with four questions, but I want to read this last 17 through 21 in the message version. Because, again, I just feel like I'm going to get some flack for reading this, but I feel like Eugene just says it so well. He says, this is the same verse we just read, 17 through 21. He says, have some of you noticed that we're not perfect yet? No great surprise, right? Are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? This, accessory, this accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I, was, I would be acting as charlatan. And he says, what actually took place with this? I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that, this is such a great phrase. I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's, it is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see in me is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back on that. And he says, is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion, <laughs> look at that phrase, the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an ab abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that. I repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Man, like, so crazy this morning, like, the decision that God brought me through. Now, um, knowing Jesus can, um, it takes us inward before we can go forward. It's like they're the same thing. And I want you guys to think about that this morning. In these four questions, I encourage you guys to write these down. To go inward this morning. How is Jesus leading you inward this morning? Because that is the way forward. How am I rebuilding what I've torn down in my motivations? And what's motivating me? Do I even know what's there? How am I rebuilding what I've torn down in, the, in my image of God, in my idea of who God is? Am I just, have I thought about it critically? Have I lined it up with Jesus? How am I rebuilding what I've torn down in my concerns? The things that are pulling me this way or that way, the things that I get caught up in and I get bitter about and vengeful about. How am I rebuilding what I've torn down in my view of the cross? Am I remembering what the cross represents? To not nullify it, to not go back to rebuild what I've torn down. I encourage you guys, like, go over those questions this morning. Um, the worship scene's going to come up. If you guys want to come up, um, I'll just keep kind of talking while you guys are doing this, and I'll pray. But we're going to sing one more song this morning. And I didn't tell Howard to choose this song. He just randomly picked it. But it was a song that um, Teresa and I used for our um, wedding for our communion. And uh, it's a song that's really dear to my heart, and I encourage you guys this morning. Um, the words are so good. But consider these questions this morning. Even just consider one this morning. Even, even if you're like, you know, I don't really necessarily know all that much about Jesus. Like, I encourage you, consider what Jesus did and said. Consider the story this morning. I'm just going to pray over us.
then we'll, we'll just have a time here. God, just thank you for uh, leading me, taking care of me, rescuing me. I thank you that you have this desire to do that in all of us. And I thank you that even after we say our no's, and even after we get wrapped up in all these things and we, we commit to this or we, or we do this, God, like you are still working like you did with Paul to bring us back, um, to reveal yourself in us, God. And I just pray that over us this morning. I pray that over RBC. Um, just do your work in us, God. Help us to just continue to grow towards you um, as a church, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.